0: Actually, no, I do remember. Uh, Chris, are you wearing your usual uh, Lumberjack shirt? No. Soon as I've now watched two live episodes <laughs> of, um, of the I Linux thought about action you show. when I wore that. I thought about you.
1: Because, you know, I can't wear it. I got some great swag, but I can't wear it because it's green. Uh, and I, wore, I left the new jacket, which I got to say. So uh, Wimpy sent me a Ubuntu uh, a Mate zip-up jacket.
2: Whoa, fancy. With his, <laughs> fancy. Own, yeah,
1: his own custom design. And uh, the shirts are green. Like, I would just be invisible in the studio, which is kind of cool. But the the jacket's black with a green logo, like, you I know, see. where the Star Trek comm badge would be, nice. obviously. You're right. And uh, so it kind of looks like I have a Star Trek comm badge, actually, because it's kind of like the Why shape Why are you of... wearing it right now? Well, I left it at home because Chris. the girlfriend loves the new jacket. <laughs> she wanted me to personally thank Wimpy because she thinks it's it's very— uh, well, I can't remember the word she used, but she likes it. That's great. <clears throat> yeah. Likes
0: it on you or likes it for herself? Well, no, well, no likes it on me. She likes, She thought I. She oh, thought right. it was Yeah,
1: she thought it was a good fit. Which oh, is well, you're, like...
0: you're welcome, Chris. Yeah, thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now, of course, the uh, I do have the, one of the uh, shirts upstairs here, but otherwise, it's all at home. Is uh, okay. it took a little while because it came from uh, where did it come from?
0: Um, oh, it's. Uh, oh, this is a good question. Uh, a part of Europe that I can't even remember the name. Yeah, of. I remember looking at it and going, um, What
1: what is what did I get
0: from? Oh, this must be Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so the guy the guy the guy that runs this place, Gabor his name is <laughs> it's brilliant. So it's uh Tux, and they do um official Linux merchandise for a number of projects. And they originally started up as like a part time endeavour and it was uh they've got um a computer system that you can feed, you know make designs effectively using inkscape feed that into this stitching machine and then it embroiders you know these designs and originally that was all running on windows and he reverse engineered the whole thing to get it all to run under linux that
1: is great
0: yeah and i think just recently like within the last 9 months or so he he is actually doing Hallow Tucks and these things as a full time occupation now, but he gives back a rather hefty slice to each of the projects. So you know Debbie and are on there and Open Souza and you know countless others. And every time somebody buys one of the items from there, uh, those projects get a kickback from uh, the items he sells. So I, I like I like his you know. His business model. And uh, did you get a, a memory stick in amongst all those? That was ones? the
1: slickest thing. That is <laughs> one of the
0: smallest,
1: yeah. tiny, neatest looking okay. uh, branded. I mean, it's uh, I, I, it's like pinky size. It's upstairs. I should grab it. I will. I'll grab it before we start the show. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I really like those. Yeah. That is slick. Like – I would buy that, like if you were. If this was back in the day where we had software on shelves in stores, yeah, right. And I would go down to the computer store and I would buy Ooh, it. Oh,
2: some new software. This
1: would be like that, like minimum price for that forty dollars. It looks like a forty dollar, like wow, it's a high, it's a high class. Like if I ever have why to, you're yeah.
2: buying that much,
1: paying that much for these kind of things. No, Chris, I know, I know, that's crazy. But
2: I, get, I take your
0: meaning. Yeah,
1: like I look at it and I go, I, I, he's like, oh, I almost wish I had to reload. I just would love to see this in the side of the Apollo. It's because it's a metal, <laughs> nice looking thumbstick.
0: Yeah yeah <laughs> and those those you get free if you order like two of his things you get the the usb stick for free or you can order it you know independently as well so yeah he's he's a good guy It's amazing what's the uh, site for people, people to that, check out uh hello uh let me just yeah.
1: i'll go there right now this is linux unplugged episode 135 for march 8th 2016 Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's hunkered down in its secure enclave and celebrating International Women's Day. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Well, hello there, Wes. Good to have you here, sir. Oh, yes. It's a beautiful bunker. (laughs) Thank you. It's a nice enclave, right? It sure is. Yeah. Well, broadcasting from today's enclave is a great show. Coming up in today's episode, a brand new version of OwnCloud, and it may address some serious concerns I've had, and also open up the door for those of us on a VPS that maybe doesn't have enough storage at the moment. Super excited about some of the improvements in OwnCloud 9, including their code signing. We're going to be talking about that. Then later on in the show, it's a big topic. It's a huge topic. You've probably heard me talk about it already if you've caused more recent shows. But we've got to get the virtual lugs take on Microsoft announcing SQL Server for Linux. That's melting my my whole head. What? My whole head is melted by this. As somebody who used to, I used to have to deploy SQL Servers, and the whole, like, lock-in that SQL Server used to bring to an organization was unprecedented. So to have that ship for Linux melts my head. We're going to talk about it. I'm curious to get your take on it, too. And then, later on in the show, towards the end of the show, there is an application for the Linux desktop, focused on the Linux desktop, that promises to seamlessly and transparently deliver Android applications today on your Linux desktop experience. And I'm talking like you go to your launcher, you type in the name of the application, hit enter, boom, that Android app is up and running on your Linux desktop. Wes and I have it loaded here in studio. We've thrown a few apps at it. We're going to get your take. And before we do all that, we have like a whole bunch of project updates to get into. Whoa. I know. It's so much show. I talked through the whole opening music. That's how much show it is. Holy smoke. So why don't we start by just talking about this beer super quick? Wes, you brought you brought us something special today. You brought us a lady for International Women's Day. From Nanasky Brewing Company. Ninkasi. Nanasky Brewing Company. <laughs> Ninkasi? Ninkasi. Ninkasi. Uh, brewing Company. Yeah? I got there you that go. You got right. that part. hey oh. That's two-thirds, Chris. Dawn of the Red IPA. It is over on the Beer Advocate getting an 87 score, which is pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. It says very good there? Yeah, pretty darn good. Rocking in at a 7.00% ABV. Uh, it's got it's got a whole lot going on with it this really beer. It really does. It's complex. Yeah, when you drink this thing, there is a freshness that is happening in your mouth. Uh, I feel like it's. I feel like when I drink this would thing, you, uh, would you say it's bursting with tropical notes, Chris? Is that actually on the bottle? Yes, it, that yes, is exactly that's what, it says. what I would say. I would say it burst the last year of uh, of uh, layers of skin and sediment on my tongue, right off my tongue when I put this in my mouth. Perfect kind of thing for doing a podcast. Exactly clears up the mouth. All right, before we get into our project updates, let's bring in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble room. Hey. Uh, hey. hello, hey. hello. Hey. hi there. Hey. Hiyo. Oh, nom, nom. Yes, of course. So uh, I got I got a secret. I'm very excited. Um, I'm planning to pick myself up something in the near term. New toy? Yeah, I I, I hate using the term toy. I hate calling it a toy. New business item? Well, because in my estimation, it is legitimately I'm comparing these different solutions. I mean, I legitimately am curious. Uh, I've been hankering for a really good Kodi box and a really good Plex box and a really good Netflix box. I wanted to do all of these things. And then if you can throw in some YouTube and maybe a Hulu app. Now you're really getting my attention, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really want a lot of the different options that are out there, and I don't want to build a box. Really, I don't really want to use Raspberry Pi three <laughs> because or two because you know I want Netflix and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about Cody. Been thinking about Cody. I'm going to tell you what my solution is. But well, first, very curious. First, I'm going to just talk a little bit about the new Cody release that uh, I'm getting pretty excited about. So version uh, like 17 or some crap like that. I'll give you the exact number here in a second coming out real soon and they got a brand new look you guys a brand new look today with is a new milestone they say a i think is how you say this one wes what do you think estuary 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 i like in uh, estuary uh and it's a brand new look it's pretty cool you'll see that it's got the main new eye catcher is a whole new home screen which will guide you through all of the main sections that are available They've added some useful widgets for movies and TV shows, like random and recently added in progress. Actually, sounds a lot like it's been inspired from Plex. Unplayed, most played are also available. Look at this UI; it's looking pretty good. They're calling yeah. this. A, they're calling this the. What's cool about this is this is also going to be something they'll make available for touch interfaces with a slight uh, retouch of the UI. At uh, entering the library, you're going to notice new views have received some facelips. Developers tried to keep functionality, information, in balance. I Thanks, think it does developers. Look, I think it does look pretty nice. It
2: does look pretty nice.
1: And the one thing they also say, they've enabled uh, themes in the default, uh, or colors in the default theme, so you can have a whole bunch of different colors now in the default theme, which is, which is new. Here's where I'm going with this, Wes. Starting in version 17, in Krypton, you're going to be able to use this. This nice-looking, I think it looks better than Plex. It's got, you know, all the plugins and features yep. of Kodi.
2: Plus, if you don't like this look, there's a bunch
3: of other themes yes, you can yes, apply.
1: yes. So I've been thinking, what would be the ultimate box? And yeah. I, need, I have a special requirement: is I want it to be able to run Cody, I want it to be able to run Plex, and I want it to be able to do it. I want it to be able to run Plex offline if possible, mm. because when I'm going down the road and I got three monsters strapped to seatbelts behind me, I it yeah, is yeah, a it, right. it is a road safety uh, imperative that I can have Inside Out or a Frozen playing on the television. I mean, it saves lives literally, because yeah. otherwise it's Dad. Can I have this? Dad, he did this. Dad, I want this. The whole drive, Wes. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying, I understand. So uh, I think I'm looking at the NVIDIA Shield TV. Whoa. Yeah. I did not expect that. Yeah, I didn't think you would. Yeah. Tell me more about it. Well, the NVIDIA Shield TV, you know, it's it's got good performance. Uh, You can run all of these applications. It's actually got the newer version of Google's uh, television OS on there that's Mm. not their first attempt at it. Uh, And uh, all of the apps we love available for it, crazy great performance thing can do 4K video. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm, wonder-
2: I'm wondering. Right on the website, it says Cody.
1: Yeah, I'm Netflix, waiting. Mm-hmm. Netflix. Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've they, they tout all the different apps it runs. You, do, you pair that up with something with Cody. So my thinking is wait till that thing drops in price a little bit, and I'm going to jump on that thing. And that's going to be my home entertainment setup. What's it,
2: what's it cost now?
1: Well, it depends on which one you want. See, I need offline storage, and I don't know what the – you can get one with up to a 300 gigabyte hard drive, but the okay. price starts to get to $300 that's a little expensive. But I need the office. So I'm going to wait. Or maybe I can see if I can add my own storage. But I'm just thinking NVIDIA Shield TV with Cody is a super sweet, low-power, quiet combo. Yep. Could be a good way to go. I bet there's probably a lot of other boxes. Anybody in the Mumble Room just shout, uh, waiting to shout out, like, Chris, there's this Cody box. It's so great. You can just get it right now. If you know of one. I've heard a few. Uh-
3: there is a there is some like some uh, st- some uh, Android sticks that are on Amazon that you get for pretty cheap that accomplish the same fundamental thing so you can still use Kodi and you know Plex and Android apps so you can get the same experience but it's not going to be like 4K. Yeah,
1: so. man, I don't know if I want to stick. You know, I don't know if I want a stick because the thing is is. I want, I want Chris this is thing. over sticks. I, 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 I am over sticks because I just, I want this thing to be as fast as possible. Yep. I, I, I do not ever you don't want have it. time. I, I just, I, I want it to feel like it's right on the metal. And I, uh, for me, it's worth it. Like big ass uh, MKV files and uh, HD streams and video games. Like it's all worth it for me to have the sticks. They're just. They're just as low end as possible. I know, I know, I know. Speaking of sticks, though, you know who is into the sticks? Mozilla. On March 1st, Mozilla's Senior Vice President for Connected Devices announced that the open source organization seeks to develop, test, and evaluate four Internet of Things software projects. This is coming from Mozilla Project Link, Project Sensor Web, Project Smart Home, and Project. What do you think, Wes? Vanny? V A A N I. Vanini? Mumble, remember anybody? V-A-A-N-I? Uh, anyways. they I got a, it with
3: Vanini. Vanini. Yeah, there you uh, go. Okay. I like that.
1: The announcement didn't really mention anything about Firefox OS at all, but it's probably a safe bet that these I mean, things... they have it there. It's probably a safe bet it would use these things. Wes, my reaction, and then this is just me being an out-of-touch Chrome user. Uh, my reaction when I hear this is, uh, what? What? Mozilla's doing what? Why? What? I mean, I, what? I don't understand. Is How does this make Firefox a better web browser? Is this a super uh, old way, a limited way of thinking?
2: Yes. I mean, I guess we'll see. I think Mozilla's been trying to pivot to something like this or at least explore for quite some time, but there hasn't been a lot delivered. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what it would look like. I believe that Mozilla has the best intentions or at least very good intentions, but I don't know what this will really look like. Um, it does seem separate, though, from them also having a pretty good browser. It, it goes along with their, Go their ahead.
3: announcement about the Firefox OS not doing phones anymore. They yeah. they did say they're right. going to do Internet of Things stuff. They're going to do tablets and stuff like that. So it kind of goes in with that. But uh, and I mean, if they as can make, a Firefox fanboy, I also don't care.
2: If they can make pretty good standard-supporting, web-focused Internet of Things, maybe even secure devices, then I would support that. But... I guess it, it really remains to be seen if that's what they do.
3: When they, um, if they bring in the new uh, engine, the, the runtime engine. That
1: oh, they come about. on, dude. Yeah. No, you're yeah, just trying to it. get me upset. You're just trying to upset me right now. Stop it. rotten! you are <laughs> trolling me. That's a good move, but I'm not falling for it. <laughs> it's just around the corner, right? It's just going to be, yeah. An, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Could it be um, the next one, of
1: course. Um, all right, so let's start. Poopy, I think you and I have talked about, maybe it was on Tech Talk today before, maybe it was a Kickstarter mm-hmm. of the week. Hadn't we talked about how we thought if there was going to be a IoT-type device, a Chromecast-type competitor or something like that? What do you think of that idea?
0: Um, well, they tried, well, someone tried before, doing their matchstick, mm-hmm. remember their matchstick that we Yeah, backed? I think that was the when North we talked about it. horribly
4: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I'm I'm taking with a pinch of salt everything Mozilla are doing at the moment. Have, have you seen recently one of their uh, employees post a whole load of uh, internal information about how uh, how the company works? I'm kind of just wait and see see what they come up with.
1: Hmm.
4: Kits and Kitty, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. I just think it's uh, more in the line with all the uh, news that has been coming out uh, with uh, Mozilla, both good and bad. You know, the bad being GTK three. Getting snubbed again in 45, but they do have all this really cool stuff working behind the scenes. Uh, Mozilla Servo, which is breaking records right now in terms of JS performance. Uh, But the other interesting thing that I thought was uh, rather interesting coming out of Mozilla was they're wanting to push Gecko again. Did you hear about this?
1: In what context?
4: You mean the web browser
1: context or do you – what do you mean when you, Gecko is the rendering engine of Firefox, right? As a framework uh, to build other applications it looks oh. like. Oh. Hmm. Well, um, that seems like it almost makes more sense even though I don't – I don't know why that is
4: – boy, that's, yeah. a,
1: that's an uphill fight.
4: It is. And I just like whenever I see this story, it just makes me think back to the icky situation around the early 2000s where they tried to do the same thing and they came out with like Nightingale uh, music player, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was just a, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And it was just a bunch of uh, disappointment, really. One Thunderbird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, Chris. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Hmm.
3: I, I it was, it was a good
1: player, though. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, <laughs> I would love. I would I love. Use it for a while. I would love to see where they go with this. Internet of Things. Uh, I don't even know what the hell that means, and it gives me a little bit of a sick <laughs> in my stomach every time I think of it. Uh, I, I know it's something that it's the only thing they talk about at trade shows right now, and I know it's uh, it's a huge industry. I just it feels like 3D to me a little bit. You know, it feels like. Uh, it's something we all talk about and it's something we all procrastinate about or, you know, procrastinate or whatever you want to say about what's going to could or couldn't could go wrong. But who's actually buying these things outside of geeks that are just dorking around with them? Like you? I'm the not, I'm ge- not the even Internet buying things
3: these things is, is marketing to not geeks. It's like all kind like the Amazon Echo and stuff like that.
1: I think the Echo is the. I think the Echo is the biggest example of a successful Internet of Things product, and I think what we do is we just arbitrarily go around and say, well, this is now an Internet of Things product. What makes it an Internet of Things product? It has an IP address? Is that where we're drawing the line? It can query APIs? Is that what makes it an Internet of Things?
3: I think it's it's a device that has access to the Internet. By itself without having to connect to any other devices
1: but it doesn't have access to the internet by itself it requires a infrastructure in place a a wi-fi lan and a router Yeah, but
3: i mean like it doesn't have to connect to like another like for example the freaking android watches like they require another device to even work like that's what uh-huh. I
1: okay okay boy that's that's a pretty broad broad uh, definition
3: yeah but also you know it Goes to the same thing about the cloud being incredibly broad.
1: Well, doesn't that technically make the Xbox and the PlayStation an Internet of Thing device?
2: That's an, or, yep. or smart TVs were kind of an, an early yeah. front of that. So I think it depends okay. on how much they're made the default. You, you know? see
1: this? You I see think, how it's is kind, is kind just of
3: like. To be broad.
1: Yeah, it's starting to feel like a lot of marketing BS. It's starting to feel like. You can call it a successful category because you can call anything an Internet of Things device. And therefore, if anything sells that you put that label on, you can say Internet of Things is successful. But in the broad context, nobody's actually buying the shit or putting it in their homes, uh, except for us geeks. And even then, I think it's a subset of the geeks. Like, I don't have a Nest or the only Internet of Things. Smart like lock. I have Hughes lights because I'm in a studio and I want to match color to my green screen. That's a pretty niche reason to buy Hughes lights. Otherwise, I don't know if I would buy them. Like they're I not bought, in your kitchen. I bought them and gave them to my dad as a gift, and he's colorblind, so that's not even a great <laughs> gift. Like He uses them, but uh, <laughs> you know, like, terrible it feels like it is a gimmick, and I don't know. So I, I wish Mozilla all the luck as they cast off into a completely nebulous category that seems to have no meaning to me. I mean – Anybody can feel free to disagree with me in the mumber room. But to me, it, it feels like anything we want is innovative Things. And when they say this is what they're doing, it sounds like a company that doesn't have really great focus is moving into a category that doesn't have any focus. Sounds like a recipe for disaster to me. But, you know, they do have that super fast JavaScript thing down. So That's true. As soon as they ship that. <laughs> yeah. As soon as they ship that. All right, so we have a few more updates to go through uh, before we uh, get into some meat of the show. But I thought this one was interesting. I was getting tweeted this one a lot this week. The Fail Overflow folks have released their PS4 Kexec style code to load the current Linux kernel from the free FreeBSD based OS. So that is really something. That's they're pretty not. Cool. They're not breaking the, the PlayStation. It's a kernel module, Wes. They must have had to break. The kernel module must be signed. I mean, they must have to have a signed module. So,
2: like, what they say with this is that you need a way to to execute this. Ah. So if you get yourself an exploit, like theirs was in WebKit, for example, then you just take this, you Ah. can compile it up, run it,
1: and boom, there you go. Now you're running Linux. Codes up on GitHub.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty neat.
1: That's pretty cool. You know what that means? Beowulf cluster. Yep. Yeah. It does mean a cluster, though. That is... is And they were talking about how
2: they, like, extract the Radeon driver and... Make it like work with Linux.
1: This to me actually, like if I was going to buy a console, would push it. I mean, I was already in PS4, but this would push it, right? For for a Linux geek like me. Oh man, yeah, probably. It pushes it. It's
2: just fun to make it, right? I don't know. Yeah, I've man. Had Gentoo on a Wii at one point. Maybe, it's, it's maybe, maybe one day. There.
1: Maybe one day they could really get some performance out of it and use it to encode video. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. Mm-hmm. I see your angle. All right, so I got to give a little shout out to the Elementary OS folks. We talked last week with Wimpy about uh, funding of Ubuntu Mate, and uh, Daniel from uh, Elementary OS has posted an update about some of their funding initiatives. He said, I want to put a quick update about our bounties. As you might know, Elementary has a bug bounty program where we pay out people to fix certain issues. Anyone can create a bounty on any issue or contribute to an existing bounty. It's pretty great. So far, Elementary has paid out over $14,000 to developers fixing bugs. Uh, Here's some of the big-ticket ones that are still open. And you know what? I you know I was looking through this, Wes, and something sort of really jumped out at me as I was browsing through elementary OS's bounty source. Yeah. Um, and I had an off-air off, off air conversation with Daniel in the subreddit a little bit about this, too. Because I asked, you know, does it slow things down? Because you can't just go contact the developers directly. <clears throat> and Daniel said, well, uh, no, we think it doesn't. And he, he said, I like the kind of transparency that it provides. Uh, of course bounty source isn 't loading right now that 's the bounty source website it 's just all that 's a whole lot of white in your face, but what you what you get by looking at elementary OS's bounty source page is you get an idea of where the project is going like a pretty clear like you can see there 's three hundred dollars worth of money to work on the file manager right now, and what those top you can really see where they 're putting their money yeah where 's the top concerns in the file manager? They link all of the bugs in the bounty source to Launchpad uh, bugs too, which is kind of a nice that's way nice. to do it for ubuntu based distro so it seems like a pretty good system, wimpy, I wanted to just sort of Get your sort of off the cuff take on a system like Bounty Source versus sort of the funding that you've sort of come up with where you're working with developers directly. And did you look at Bounty Source and decide it wasn't
0: for you, or do you just think it's a, a different strokes for different folks? What's your impressions on that? Yeah, I mean, Bounty Source is, um, is definitely a tool, a uh, platform that you can take advantage of. I did look at it and I decided. Uh, it's a small project, Ubuntu Mate is a small project with a small group of people and I wanted to focus on building relationships with people rather than, so <clears throat> with Bounty Source you can have a drive-by committer who can choose to work on a thing for $50 or whatever it might be and work on that one thing and then never be engaged with the project again and I wasn't so keen on that approach i wanted to um approach and reward people that had demonstrated a commitment to the project so that that's sort of the the, yeah. the the route that i've taken i think that and i I could also see different depending on the scale of the
1: project how a different approach yeah. makes sense too yeah i like i like browsing through there and uh, seeing what they want fixed and i like the idea that as a, as a sort of somebody who doesn't have any capacity to um contribute code, I could contribute money to their bounty source. Right. But then also I found myself kind of confused, like should I be contributing to the Patreon, or should I be contributing to the bounty source? Seems like it would be better just to, to sort of focus everyone's efforts in one spot. Let them decide where it should go. Yeah, but... Well,
3: the Patreon is like, what they do the bounty sources is what they decide needs to get attention. So if you go to the Patreon, you're giving money to the project, to then they could disperse it to bounty source wherever they deem work.
1: That makes sense. Do. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's so that's and of course you could you could subscribe to bounty source directly too. It's yeah. Yeah. So.
3: But there's also um like just to point out that 14,000 number is not true. They this is they've already posted this before. Not not this particular example, but about 2 months ago they posted like hey, we got 9,000 out for bounties and it's like, "Well, no, that's the total number that is potential to be given."
1: Well, not he's the saying, number given. But he's saying here in this post, he's saying paid out. He's saying that we have paid out, not what's event, what's hang out there hanging.
3: Yeah, but if you look at the claimed bounties, um the math is not accurate. Hmm. There's like four thousand dollars missing from their claim. Oh, Which I I'm see. not saying that they aren't doing what they're you know, they're not doing a good thing and getting developers' money and stuff like that. I'm just saying that they, they tr they kind of inflate it a little bit. So the, um, I would prefer them not to
1: do that. Bounty source pages not loading properly for me right now. But it is worth – there's a link in the show notes. It's actually – I think elementary OS, when you, when you follow them from the outside, it seems a little opaque. It's kind of hard to f- see what they're doing, where they're going. You know, they got, they're probably working on stuff. But when you go to this, it's, it's sort of – sort of, it's like pulling back the curtain. The insider's view. Yeah, you can, you, can get a, you can get a pretty quick – yeah, uh, hey, this page just loaded for me. So you can see there's $625 worth of bounties available for their uh, new mail program elementary OS, 565 bounties, for GTK+, Plus, 520, for the shell, 365, Midori, 315, Pantheon files. And they have different stuff in here. You can see, like, for their app center, one of the things they want work on, worked on is to show the most popular apps feature, and they're willing to pay oh. money for that.
2: Nice. So I you, remember, this is making me excited for when their next version comes out. Yeah. It's been so long, and I haven't yeah. wanted to, the, the current one's so old.
1: It is, it is kind of fascinating to watch it. From that perspective. So I decided I'd, I'd toss him a few bucks to the bounty source just because hey. I think it's an interesting idea. Totally, You know, because when I'm, I'm – the reason why I'm – what I'm, for those of you that are wondering why I'm looking at this stuff so much is I eventually want to come up with a model like this for JB when we can afford to do so through our Patreon. But I don't know – Support the community that keeps you here. And so I was kind of looking at the Wimpy's model. I like that a lot because I like establishing those relationships with people. Right. Uh, but then this is another way to go. But this seems like for something that's not, a, if, if you're not a software project, this this model doesn't really work very well. But I, it's interesting to kind of check in and see what different people are doing, and I find both approaches to be very valid. So it's it's good to watch, I think. All right, well, Wes. The way, yes, The way ahead. you
0: could adapt the way you could adapt Bounty Source to JB is that if you are using uh, open source software in the production of your podcasts and video casts you could post bounties to add features or fix issues in the tools that you're using sure because that that way then let's pick ffmpeg because i know you use it a lot let's suppose you need it to tell you the price of tea in china you put a bounty up for that to happen in ffmpeg and ffmpeg benefit and you've clearly funded that body of work so you could make it work for mm-hmm. you know what you're doing and it might be a little easier to navigate because obviously elementaries are a rather large project and there's lots and lots of bounties there and i imagine your the scope of your bounties would be a lot smaller
3: yeah the i problem know with, there's a there's a big problem with bounty source though in the sense that if you put money out for a particular thing and then no one does it that money is still out like, mm. there's a difference between pay, like, that this is actually one of the things that I mentioned about them paying money to developers. This is not true because of the way Bounty Source is structured. You're paying money to Bounty Source because as soon as it's put into that particular project to, or that task, it, Bounty Source takes that money. So maybe elementary has paid out that amount of money in general to Bounty Source, but no one's actually claimed it. So if you don't like if you scroll down their list it says this is how much has been claimed by developers and it's it's a lot different than what has actually been put into the bounty source itself. So if you're going to uh, donate to a particular project, it's better to just give them the money to the project. Hmm. And say yeah, I, I, maybe maybe ask to earmark it for this pur- purpose or something.
0: That, that sucks for elementary. So you're saying that elementary have of have put money into bounty source to say we want these things implemented or fixed or whatever they want and they've paid some fourteen thousand dollars into a thing and that money has been invested by them but the work hasn't been done and it's the money's effectively sitting in escrow waiting for somebody to do the work
3: yes there's about four thousand waiting for someone to do it Mm
1: -hmm. i guess they figure that it's in the wash that eventually somebody will come along and claim that work I hope so. Yeah, what happens I mean, if that, that
3: doesn't? Or you, well, maybe the people don't even. Maybe there are people in those projects that aren't even aware that those are a thing that they're willing to pay for. I mean, and I what, what if
1: you cancel? Oh, that's a good point. Like if it's GTK work, for example, a GTK maintainer might not even know there's a a, a elementary bounty for it.
3: Yeah, he might even do the work, and then that money is just already put into bounty source, but no one claims because they didn't know to claim it, and it's just there forever.
1: I guess until something. they cancel
0: yeah, the project, right? If they canceled that line item, I guess it would probably return the money. I'm not sure about I, that. I, I didn't know that's how Bounty Source worked. I'd certainly be really interested in hearing more about, particularly from Elementary, um, I've just listened to a fascinating podcast today with Stuart Langridge on the uh, Simply Elementary podcast. It was a, a really insightful talk about his experiences with Elementary and some of his thoughts on on their project and their direction. It's a, a great listen if you if you've not heard that. It's definitely one to go and listen to. But I I feel bad for Elementary that they may have invested money that they're not getting full value out of.
1: I so, would I would estimate. It's a matter of counseling the bounty and then the money probably returns. So if, say. but then it's but then of course it's just the process of administratively following up on those things, right? Mm. Yeah, there's mm. a few
3: of those GTK things, those line items for GTK, they've been in for for a while. I, I know for at least at least two of those I've seen for a long time because I used I was when they first the reason I know about this thing of bounty sources stuff is because when they announced this like uh, a couple months ago they said like nine thousand was paid out and I had a conversation with Daniel and one of the developers that essentially I was I realized that it's not it's not exactly paid out to a developer, it's just paid out to bounty source. Hmm. So i um, I I didn't ask him about what happens if you cancel it, but um hopefully they could if they cancel it they get the money back. But at the moment it's just, you know, in limbo.
1: Yeah, Bounty Source seems to have continued to grow, but it hasn't grown at the rate I've expected either. So they they have continued to expand. It's it's uh it's
3: worth. They've I think, also kind of created like, a code based uh, Patreon type thing too.
1: Hmm, I think that's interesting. I think for us, I'm going to look at it. I don't know if it, if if it works directly well for us or not, but I like it, so I'm going to play around more. and Keep looking into it. I'd love to hear from the Elementary OS project. Too, yeah, absolutely. But, Okay, so I want to shift gears and start talking about this new OwnCloud release. This looks like version 9 is a pretty big deal. Uh, and, you know, you could probably deploy OwnCloud on a DigitalOcean Droplet. I will probably, probably have a really easy deployment here in a few days for version 9. So use our promo code, if you would, D-O-Unplugged, and get a $10 credit over DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud housing provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to split up your own server up in the cloud. They have uh, mostly Linux. I mean, let's be honest, Wes. It's the superior OS. But they do have a little free BSD, too. You can get That's your fancy. Yeah. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSDs, because they all SSDs, a blazing-fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Their pricing plan is crazy straightforward. In fact, you can go to their pricing page and do yourself a favor. Tab it over to hourly. Look at that, Wes. Three cents an hour, two Ooh. gigabytes of RAM, two core processor, 40-gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer.
2: You know it's kinda of, it's becoming you have just something you want to do. Oh, you're compiling the Let's kernel. Spin you know, something spin it just, up yeah, just do go it over there. Just
1: do it on DigitalOcean Droplet. You know, if you're using things like Docker too, it's really ridiculously fast. It can get deployed on a droplet in no time. And they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Whoa. Germany. You got a new one open up in India too. That stuff's crazy, I tell you what. But you know what's cray cray? Super cray cray? Intense cray cray? That interface. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, Wes. That interface is so good. They have a straightforward interface that's very easy to use, but yet extremely powerful. I'm saying you can set, like, multiple machines, DNS host names at the same time, set up SSH private keys, backups. You can transfer between data centers. You can do private networking. You can destroy the machine. HTML5 console, all of that. One-click application deployment, but it's still cray-cray simple. I'm saying cray-cray simple. And they have a straightforward API to make it even better. To just step it up a notch. They have a really great API, and there's a lot of great open source code written around it. And go check out some of those great community tutorials written, too, in their community section. Super good stuff. Super. Really well written. Well documented. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code unplugged, And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Linux Unplugged. Okay. So, uh, I don't know if uh, you guys in the mumble room are own cloud users. Wes, are you an own cloud user? Come on, Wes.
2: On and off again. Oh. But I've been thinking about using
1: it again. Ooh, I, got, I got an own cloud instance I've been running out for about a year, and I got a real heavy into it for a bit, and then I backed off for file syncing, I've been using it for carddav and caldav.
2: See, that's what I was thinking about, too. Yeah. Are you liking
1: it? I do, and I use SyncThing for the file syncing, sure. and I'm using Dropbox still as well. Hmm. Can't help it. So, own cloud nine is shipping. Uh, and this is kind of a major release. The OwnCloud version 9 shipped with code signing. They say which promises to offer users with safer code. I don't know exactly how but d- by verifying the integrity of their cloud installations during upgrades or installing apps. Well that's code nice signing. To yeah. Uh, they say with 8 million users OwnCloud is the world's leading file sync and share solution providing users with safe home for all of their data. Founded six years ago as a project with the goal of bringing privacy and control back to users, OwnCloud is where it is today thanks to contributions from well over a 1,000 open source programmers, designers, translators, and others. Uh, the big hot features, you ready for this one? Ooh, I want, I want to hear. Administrators will happily, happily learn that it is now possible to add as many OwnCloud servers as they want or need as trusted servers to their infrastructures. Multiple own cloud servers, y'all, sharing and exchanging of usernames along with automatic name completion oh. yeah! from all the shared servers is a breeze. Trusted own cloud servers can be manually added by admins who have control over the automatic addition of servers. And starting version 9.0 organizations and institutions like CERN, yeah, that's right, Whoa. will be able to integrate deeply with their massive own cloud installations with their various storage solutions in their infrastructure. Thanks to the addition of a new storage API... That allows for unimaginable scaling levels. Don't even try to imagine it, folks. Built into OwnCloud. Enterprise Edition is also coming next month. we got some nice UI improvements that look great. Hello, Slack. Nice calendar. Hello. It's looking really good. I want to talk a little bit more uh, about this, but I thought instead of me talking about it, Wes, I'd play a little bit from the OwnCloud site. Are you ready for this, Wes? Ooh, let's hear it. This is direct from the OwnCloud site. Uh, I thought we'd hear it from the horse's mouth as always we are working hard to give you tools to manage your files wait wait that's no good that was no good i we we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta give them a little tip let's fix that up hold on stop the show stop the show we gotta give them a little tip this is this is us contributing back to the open source community wes this is how we would do if you're gonna you first you gotta get yourself some hipster kickstarter music for the that is essential, right? So you get that going. And that makes everything sound better. You wait for that to play a little bit, then you start your video.
4: Hello, clouders and welcome to your personal guided tour of Cloud Nine. The newest cloud release is full of improvements yeah, and yeah. new features.
1: See, this is better, right? Much better. Let's start on the main files page. This is the default landing for the web interface. (laughs) In fact, we should just have that for the whole show. I'm I'm down to keep listening. (laughs) So that's our advice to the OwnCloud project. Good release. Solid release. But, you know, maybe uh, put some hipster music uh, in that video. Come on now. It makes everything better. Uh, Look at that, though. It's looking really great. So OwnCloud 9 West... What's, fair- been What's been
2: holding you back? What's been holding
1: you back? Be honest with me. Take the gloves off, Wes.
2: I think mostly just that there had been this concerns about you know large file syncing, and I have I've been using SyncThing for a long time, so I just, I've had that problem solved. So it's more been like, am I ready? Do I want to set up the CardDav, Caldav mm-hmm, server? Mm-hmm. But with like the Documents app and like. Kind of the more features they're getting, it's making it more like, well, I already have more than enough servers lying around, or I could spin up in an instant. Mm-hmm. So
1: why not? Man, this UI is looking it's is looking, looking really good nice. too. Anybody in the mumbler room currently using OwnCloud and willing to maybe try upgrading to version nine and reporting back in the near future? I I might do it. Oh, look at that! No, wait, hold on. Sorry, let me see. That would be completely a no. Nobody wants to do it. All right, fine. Uh, I've well, never not. installed GNU slash Linux Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead
0: You can take the, you can uh, take the fault, I don't want to have to do it <laughs> I'm, I'm not using it at the moment I've tried, uh, I think, 5, 6, 7, and 8 And, yeah, the file syncing uh, was a thing that I wanted to work And it didn't work for me But I'm going to try 9 again and I really want OwnCloud to work. And and there are features of OwnCloud that I sh- I should be using because I do have um, sort of um notes that I sync around between all of my mm-hmm. machines and it would make much more sense to actually use something like own cloud to yeah, synchronize that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think But about I really that. want I really want the file syncing to work and that just hasn't quite cut it in the past. So with that article about cern and all of their petabytes of data that they're shunting around the place every day i'm hope hoping that that's just not marketing spiel and and that's really being
1: i, I see time. i'm worried that until they replace c-sync of the, the, uh, yeah. uh, the underlying sync library i just i worry that the the actual client sync is never going to be enough i just uh,
2: want it to be good enough so like my wife or i could like put up have a own cloud server with my you know what you, and, you know, could do, too, is you them. could
1: always point OnCloud cloud at a sync thing directory. See, that seems like the way to go. So I want to get a couple other people to jump in here. So Rarian, you're a, you're a heavy own cloud user. Could you tell us, are you looking forward to version 9? What are your thoughts? I oh, don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, you too? Are you too worried? Uh, you it? it's too, it's, you're too dependent on it to upgrade? I'm too dependent on it to upgrade. I am too dependent on it to upgrade i I have had a problem with any syncing issues like you guys have
2: described, but... I don't sync huge files like ISOs,
1: so. Okay. i would be curious to see uh, what Muhahaha has to say in the Mumble Room, because it sounds like you might be planning to upgrade to version 9.
3: Yes, I just uh, started to use it, so I don't think it will be that big of a problem.
1: You're already using version 9? Oh, um, 8.1. Oh, oh, oh. You mean it's a sort of a fresh install of 8.1, so it's probably going to be an easy... Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, jump on that S while you can. All right. Maybe I should do it. it. It seems like, yeah, maybe it'll be
2: fun to just get it going. I could do a review of it, too, if I don't know.
1: I would people be in the chat room, would you be well, interested we can in federating and share files with each other, Chris. Do people care anymore? Um,
2: yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so uh, you, I know you're a heavy GNOME user, Chris. Mm-hmm. And I, so am I. And it integrates very well with the GNOME desktop. It integrates with the built-in Notes app in GNOME. Uh, so
4: it's easy to sync notes across. It's really great. In that regard.
1: (laughs) Hmm. See, I've been, I've actually been really enjoying Matei. So, I was actually considering switching. But, yeah. uh, Yeah, that is nice. That is nice. You just Uh, dropping the bomb like that on you, Chris? Well, I don't know. It's just, I've I've been using the Apollo a lot. And then when I sat down uh, at the GNOME 3 desktop, it was the file manager. The file manager. I like, I prefer the way Kaja works. To me, it just works better. But, yeah, points well taken. I do like the integration with GNOME 3. I'll, I'll consider If people are interested, let me know about a review of OwnCloud. I'll take a look at even it. If it.
3: Even if it blows up in your face, that's still another episode.
1: <laughs> Jeez, thanks. Thanks, yeah. Uh, well, hey, no, it can't blow up my face because code signing. You're secure. Code yeah. signing. Good to go. Don't have to worry about it. Hmm. I guess I do like the idea of updates. But, you know, this is all goes back to OwnCloud's when one of the big advocates that don't get updates from their repo. Right. Get them from us directly. All right. I'll dig around. I'll see where uh, – I'll, I'll give it a consideration. You know, I was I've – been, I've been recently thinking, too, about using OwnCloud to store, uh, like, a digital filing cabinet because uh, I just got so much paperwork. Right. Like, you know, like, when you buy something or you get a divorce or you get a loan or whatever, like, there's just moments in your life where all of a sudden you have all this paperwork just dropped in your lap. And I feel like if at that point in time, if I scanned it and saved it to a system that I used for years, I could, I could actually manage this. But the problem is I set all the paperwork down aside, and then it just goes a scatter. It goes all over the place, and, I, and, and it never makes into a filing cabinet. So I was thinking, geez, if I could, if I could get some scans of, of these things, put them in an own cloud server that's protected. But then I would be – every time it came time to do an upgrade, I'd be like, oh, my stuff. You need backups. Yeah, that's true. You need backups. That's a good point. So I might, I, might, I might give it a go because I have been eating, like, a digital vault for some things like that. and uh, So you never know. You never know. Kaja is pronounced Kaha, not like Cougar or Cougar. Yeah, Kaja, the file manager. Kaha, Kaha. It's a good file manager. Yeah, it is a good Reminds file Reminds me of the good old days. All right, you know what else reminds me of the good old days? Ting, because they're keeping mobile simple. Man, they're keeping mobile simple, and I love that. They're just out to make mobile make sense. It's your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and that's what you pay. It's a flat $6 for the line, and it's your usage on top of that. Very straightforward. No contracts, no early termination fees. Really good customer support. It's kind of obvious. Average annual savings per device for a business with 11 to 20 employees per device, $440. Linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. Go there to support the show and get yourself a discount. They have really great customer service if you want to call them. one eight five five 855 ting ftws They got great, great supports. All the nice devices from just the GSM or CDMA SIM card, feature phone, all the way up to the Cadillac smartphones. The nice ones. And they give you great control with their fantastic dashboard. But, Wes, let's not mince words. What's really important right now? Freaking sales. Ooh, sales. Moto E, second gen, $74. Unlocked, off contract. Nobody standing in the way of you and your updates. LG Volt 2. Yeah. 66 bucks. Samsung S6, $549. Unlocked, off contract. You own that. You're going to get the updates right when Samsung finally gets around to releasing them. That's the way to go. It really is. Also, they've got the Nexus devices, like they've got a refurbished Nexus 5 on sale right now. They've got the internet phones. they got them all. Linux.ting.com. Go check them out. Linux.ting.com. Support the show by visiting them. Try out the savings calculator.
2: You'll be very happy you did.
1: I think so. Linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Okay, we got to talk about this a little bit with the virtual lug because I just don't know what to make of it. Um, Microsoft's gone totally cray cray, and they they have announced SQL Server on Linux. On uh, Linux, Popey and I had a chance to talk about this a little bit today on uh, Tech Talk today, and Popey said he actually fell out of his his chair, <laughs> so I think he was pretty surprised. Wes, what was your reaction when uh, Microsoft made this? I was announcement? pretty surprised too. I'm it'll be I'm curious to see it running. Uh yeah, so it, mumble room, let me know in the chat room if you have uh what well, I'd love to know your initial reactions, but Poppy, for those who didn't get a chance to listen to Tech Talk, uh recap here your thoughts when uh, you heard that SQL server coming out for Linux and what do you think it means? Poppy, that's your I was talking to you, Popi. Anyway, all right. Andy Karsis, you your takes. Do you think this is a go to go up against Oracle? You go.
3: Yeah, I mean there's been so much, they've been losing so much ground to the
2: Linux Oracle constellation hardware servers. You think,
1: you think, it, you, so you really think it's more of a straight Oracle competition play and less of uh, uh, trying to stay relevant by going to Linux play.
2: Well, I mean, they also want to sell their stuff. Like, with virtualization being the primary platform, being, you know, cloud first, then, you know, the primary apparatus, they need to get as much value add as they can so they need to like sell sql server licenses and if you're not going to put linux on your machine then at least you know be using uh code um visual studio yeah. Core or something yeah. Like that. yeah you know i think it's a pretty good move i could i i wouldn't deploy it personally but i could see it like at least from my perspective you know if there's dbas that manage the databases if that's what they want to do to provide like a redundant sql interface that i connect to
1: then if it works that's great I wonder if any of you recall a time and place where I was in a spot. And I wonder if any of you found yourselves there. You're sitting down. You're trying to come up with the pros and cons of deploying different systems. And when you look at an application that required Microsoft SQL, from a Linux administrator standpoint, I knew that meant a Windows IIS server most likely, a Windows server server server. Windows SQL server, so maybe two, three Windows servers, locked into a SQL box. It meant that this was going to be yet another deployment of frickin' Microsoft Windows right. and SQL. SQL was the way, was such, a, was such a conversation stopper for me. When I would go into, oftentimes for clients, one of the things I could do is, we could move these things over to Linux, you won't have to upgrade to Windows 2003, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. We'll not right. have to go to 2008, we'll go to this. But when SQL came up, that totally stopped the conversation. Had, and that in exchange. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. There's still yeah. – mm-hmm. there's other things it's out there. a sore there, spot. But, yeah. I wonder if, if for, for people like me now who are coming into shops and trying to get people to move over maybe move off of Windows and move on to a different system. Like you could now spin up a freaking droplet running SQL Server. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Use that as your as your SQL Server, or your your offsite premise of SQL Server. I mean, you can't right it's now. Race. It's not shipping at the moment, but it will be mid twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they say. I just find that to be uh, a game changer. It's like uh, that combined with their announcement today as well that they are joining the Eclipse Foundation. They say, today I'm happy to share that Microsoft has taken its relationship with the Eclipse community to the next level by joining the Eclipse Foundation. As a solutions member, joining the Eclipse Foundation enables us to collaborate more closely with the Eclipse community to deliver a great set of tools and services for all development teams and continuously improve our cloud services, SDKs, and tools.
2: What? What did you know that at Microsoft their developer mission is to deliver experiences that empower any developer building any application on any OS?
1: Get it out of here.
2: This I don't I like that tone.
1: I don't even. I'm I don't, confused though. Uh,
3: yeah, it's pretty. It's 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 great, except for the contradiction of the universal Windows platform.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting in that light. You're right. You're right. Uh, I I actually wonder if this if if this isn't really just about getting people to develop more services that use Azure in a long, long run. I don't know, though. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, hey, Java developers, don't you want to use Azure? Wimpy, you look at this and you say, okay, we got Visual Studio Code, we got Microsoft SQL, got .NET going open source, joining the Eclipse Foundation. But, Wimpy, where the hell is Skype? Where's Skype?
0: Well, the, the, and this is the important distinction. The previous four things you mentioned are all squarely, developer and enterprise focused and Skype is desktop focused for Linux and Microsoft don't love Linux, Microsoft love enterprise Linux Um, and my only concern is if you adopt Microsoft SQL Server on Linux, what happens if it falls out of favour at some point in the future and you've got everything invested in it then where do you go? And this is why open source is the safe bet, because you can't have the rug pulled from beneath you. You know, as as yeah. best as people have tried, when when Oracle acquired OpenOffice and MySQL and other projects and other organizations have, they have always come out better and stronger because of open source. I agree. Well, what,
3: did, what does uh, Microsoft SQL have that, Maria, Mongo, Couch, Postgres, and the others don't.
1: Well, now we're asking a question above my pay grade, but I do know that it's a well-respected SQL database server um, that has some nice features. That I do well, know.
0: Micro- Microsoft SQL Server. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it has I, the I, word Microsoft on it. <laughs> I well, I know the origins of the Microsoft SQL Server because I worked for the company that Microsoft. Um, bought their SQL Server from in order to create Microsoft SQL Server. This story is way, coming way, full circle. All, wow. sudden, all of a sudden, <laughs> way, 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 way back. So Microsoft SQL Server was actually um, Sybase SQL Server four point something. Oh, I remember and, that. And they they bought the rights to the old uh, code. So I think when Sybase released Sybase SQL, ten or eleven. Um, they sold the source code to 4.9 or something like that to Microsoft, and then Microsoft, you know, re- reinvented it into Microsoft SQL Server.
1: Yeah, wow, good, wow. good callback. That is, that does ring a bell. Uh, so, what do you think, Wimpy? What were your impressions when you heard this story?
0: That's that's um, you got some history with this. <laughs> well, I was never involved in that side of the business at Sybase, but. Um, It doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah, Microsoft's loving of Linux is clearly enterprise focused and uh, it makes sense for them to have their database product in that lineup alongside, you know, with the Xamarin acquisition and their Mm -hmm. developer story, which I think is going to continue to grow. And we will probably see other Microsoft technologies. I think we'll know when they're really serious, when Exchange can run on Linux.
1: Yeah. You know, I just look at this now, though, and I two things strike me about this. Number one, when it comes to Microsoft, you now live in a world where you can use Visual Studio Code to write open source .NET software to to use Microsoft SQL services or Linux servers running on Azure.
0: That's yeah, pretty that's weird. weird.
1: And wow. then the other thing that I find to be really interesting about this is at the other end of the spectrum is Apple open sourcing Swift, making Linux general libraries yep. and the runtime available. I Like, all of the, the, the compiler, like... This is a really crazy time for Linux on the server. It is it is so far and above the accepted platform now for on the server side. It's really just remarkable. Assumed. So eat that free BSD. I'm sorry, what? What did you say, Wes? Huh? <laughs> we just, I didn't hear a word, Chris. I, uh, this is BSD unplugged.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, go ahead, Wimpy. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think that um, Microsoft are reinventing themselves as a – well there's two things uh it's cloud it's cloud and um, mobile uh they're a cloud and mobile first organization which i've never quite understood how you can be first in two things but hey ho
1: yeah i thank you Um, thank you (laughs)
0: um but i think this is a tacit admission that linux has won the enterprise server space and that microsoft have to be a provider of software in that enterprise market in order to continue to be relevant right and, and really
1: it really has nothing to do with microsoft being a good open source citizen or no nope. and, and keep in mind SQL is not open source right? right they're just releasing it for linux it just runs. uh it yeah. has to do with that linux is in such a market dominant position that after years they finally bent to this position but they seem yep. like they're it bending is- fast now Now that Uh, that they've come to this new reality, they seem like they're actually moving in the direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, this this SQL server must have been in the works for some time because that's not something you just cook up, you know, in in short term. That that must have been going for, you know, many, many months.
1: Yeah, and and even in terms of internal staff knowledge – retooling your staff to work on linux or bringing the staff in up that's a big move yeah like that all of that takes like when you think about behind the scenes a company who makes a competitive product having to retool to ship this on linux that's that's some interesting stuff right there and it's microsoft yeah. we're talking about it's not adobe which would
2: be incredible <laughs> it's microsoft and man, there's a lot of people that Figured fall out into already. that just want to get things done crowd. It's mm-hmm. like that's the tool they know. Mm-hmm. And so if that means that yeah. they can deploy it on Linux and it'll just
0: work, so that's 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 nice. Well, exactly right. You know, you've now got a migration strategy that doesn't involve changing your underlying RDBMS. Right. You can just have a Microsoft SQL server on Linux that scales out horizontally and your application can scale with that, and you're not constrained by the limitations of the underlying operating system. You know, which is you know, in order, order to do web scale applications, you need to be able to do that these days. Exactly. I bet it was and,
1: I bet it was ZFS coming to Ubuntu that made them do it. That was it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. This is interesting, though. And uh, what's next? Is there something next for Microsoft? Is there another thing coming? I don't think it's Exchange because mm-hmm. I think Exchange is too hooked in with Active Directory. Mm-hmm. So I think it's got to be – see, SQL, SQL was its own beast on its own anyways. Yeah. So there's something else out there. Something else. They're going to put Office on Linux. No, IIS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. Oh, boy, I hope not. Please, no. You know, though, I do have a bit of a recommendation for uh, all the uh, gals and guys over at Microsoft that are having to uh, train up on Linux. That's our friends over at Linux Academy. This is where you go to get brushed up on your skill set, whether it's for your gerb, whether it's maybe because you're a multinational, multi-billion-dollar corporation with tens of thousands of employees that has to retool on the new market reality. There's probably a use for Linux Academy. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug to get the unplug discount. Over 2,000... 325 video courses. Man, what would be crazy is a mashup of over uh, the uh, like last year of that number, because this has been going up and up and up. Self-paced courses are awesome, and I love that for somebody who is self-motivated. But what I think is also really great about that is they have a great community to kind of help move you along a little bit when you need that, and they have instructor help. They have instructor help. They have instructor help. Did I mention... Instructor mentoring is available. Yeah, that's nice. Scenario-based labs, those are really great. You, can, you go into an everyday environment. You get something done. You work in that advanced lab environment from beginning to end over SSH, so you're not an animal, which is really nice. I tell you what, Wes. Wes? When I'm over at linuxacademy.com slash unplug, you know what I'm doing? I'm saving money on my future. Yeah, yeah. I'm making an investment in Chris, and that feels good. The graded server exercises are brilliant. Why sit around and wait all day? We got computers that can compute right now. Graded server exercise give you real-time feedback like a boost, like they should. You got a little exam anxiety? Ooh. Here's my tip. Drink a whole bunch before the test. If you don't want to do that though, what you ought to do, is go over to Linux Academy because they got stuff over that'll help you prep for those exams. They have a fantastic availability planner. You tell it how much time you got available, it automatically creates courseware for you. You guys, seven plus distros to choose from, it adjusts the courseware and the servers that it spins up on demand. Oh, you need to learn AWS? They got courseware on that. you get getting in the Red Hat stuff? They got courseware on that. You're developing Python, Ruby, getting into Android or PHP. Guess what? Courseware on that, all of it, and more. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go check them out. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay, so uh, I'm pretty sure I, I actually did a little research before the show to make sure I'm getting the pronunciation of this right. It's, uh, it's something we've never talked about before. It's kind of new. I hadn't really heard about it. It's called, I think you say Shawlink, and I got a little video to introduce. Ooh, let's it. see. <laughs>
2: Welcome to my channel. Today I'm making something absolutely amazing. It's called shashlik. Um, in translation, it's basically big pieces of meat on
1: a skewer which are grilled or barbecued. Oh wait, that was, that was another video. Uh, sorry. No, uh, it's, not, it's not barbecue skewers. It is software that allows you to transparently run Android applications on a standard Linux desktop as easily and simply as possible, not large chunks of meat. Darn. Both sound
2: good though. Darn. Both that's, sound
1: good. That's too bad because I thought that was a see much better than the uh, own cloud video. Just the music and they got music on the yeah, yeah, on yeah. this one. And I thought that was and pretty meat. good. Music and meat. Yeah, they got music, meat, and uh, you know what? It really. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Add this to the JB repertoire. That's, man, I will tell you what, that's that. If you're gonna talk about, if you're gonna talk about meat on sticks. Hi, guys. Welcome to my channel. This is – that is – well, unfortunately, it's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is Shosh Link. And uh, Wes and I, you, you've tried it on a couple of desktops. I tried it on an Arch desktop. I've tried it on an uh, Ubuntu Mate 1510 desktop. What are you trying it on right now? I'm trying it on Linux Mint right here. Boss. Okay. So this is a pretty new project, uh, and I'm excited that they're – like, they're really giving a go with this. And it's 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 a big, ambitious project. I got to say, Wes, I ran into a few bumps.
2: Yes, it's definitely, it's definitely bumpy.
1: Hmm. Okay, I was hoping maybe we had more success because I've only got one application to I've work. I've got one as well. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but it did work.
2: I mean, it, like, it, it really did work, and that was cool.
1: Okay, okay. All right. So when I tried it, I tried Snapchat, OwnCloud. Uh, I tried Evernote. I tried Telegram. Oh, I didn't think of that. Um, and here's the first couple of – there's a couple of limitations when you're going to run these Android apps on your Linux desktop. They have to have x86 builds. Not a lot of Google Play apps are doing that at the moment because, you know, people are downloading on mobile. They want them to be as small as possible. Yeah. So they're optimizing the builds. So that's one big downside is it does have to have uh, an x86 build in it. Another downside, of course, you're not going to have play services, and then maybe on the minor category of downsides is it does pull down a bunch of KDE dependencies. See,
2: uh, oh, interesting. So I installed the uh, they, have, they have a deb on their website, uh-huh. and it didn't. It didn't. You know, there were no dependencies. Maybe you I just installed have them. It. I did have to comment out. It did try to use KDialog. Yes. yes, I just commented that out, ah. and it's been working. Oh, okay, okay. Because yeah. it still prints the message it's trying yeah. to make a dialog yeah. for. Oh,
1: okay, okay.
2: So uh, I did I, have a. It looks like some things on F Droid have the X eighty six.
1: Oh yeah, sure. Okay. That's nice F-Droid. I was I able to you.
2: uh download the Jupyter broadcasting app and Ooh. open the live stream. On your desktop. On my desktop that's in, cool. Em- emulated Android. So that was, was pretty neat.
1: I wanted to try the Audible app because I have an Audible subscription and there's no way to listen to Audible on Linux that I know of. And so uh, I was like, well, that's a perfect opportunity, is I will run the Audible app. And it just crashes immediately.
2: Ooh. I couldn't
1: get Evernote to install because Evernote didn't have an X eighty six build. In their uh, Play Store, so Evernote was a no go.
2: I will say it does seem to take quite some time to load.
1: Yeah, yeah, that
3: that sounds a little, um, a little weird because uh, the Atom processors are x86, and there's a ton yeah. of phones that have Atoms I I, so I agree. I they...
1: I don't know. I thought that's why I thought there would be more that were x86 as well because there's there are x86 Android phones on the market. I was surprised by that. Cody would be an interesting one to try. Although, why would yeah. you bother since you could just use the Cody Linux version? True. Um, they show they show a whole bunch of apps, but the ones they don't actually show any of the ones I tried in their in their main screen. But here's what the experience is like: is once you have it, you download the APK, you you tell Shosh Link to install it, yep. and then uh, it actually gets integrated in with your desktop launcher's desktop menu. When you launch the app, it shows up in your taskbar as a running application with the desktop app icon. So when I ran the Audible app, it showed up in my dock on GNOME 3, and it had the Audible icon, which was pretty cool. And uh, yeah. I launched it by hitting the super key and typing Audible in the GNOME 3 search and hitting enter. And so that, that that part of it is really damn slick. And they're iterating on this thing super, super fast. I wonder if people out in the audience have messed with this. Anybody in the, in the mumble room messed with any of these? There's a couple other out there that let you run Android apps on your Linux desktop. Has anybody played with this in the mumble room? There's some validity to it, I think. I've
3: used uh, – not this one, but I've used the, the one that Google was talking about.
1: Right. There's one that integrates in with the Chrome browser that uh, I've used yeah. too. Um, and there's also some – I'm actually kind of – Yeah? I was kind
3: of bothered by – when you said that this uses KDialog. It kind of makes me confused because uh, KDE deprecated that like a couple of <laughs> years
1: ago. Oh, well, there's that.
3: You know, that and was just an in install script too. a good option.
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess you, you were able to disable it, that right? So I literally just commented that line out.
3: Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it has. So as you would as you would imagine, it's a couple. It's a couple of pieces of technology. You have the Shosh Link D, which runs Android Space and responsible for a few things: drawing a custom boot splash, drawing the back and you know menu buttons, and notification receiving and pass them to the host operating system. So that's pretty cool. And then they have the runtime. That's the desktop side of the integration layer. It provides small scripts to install APKs, extracting the icon. And uh, creating the desktop menu icon and copying any relevant files around. It also provides the startup script, which launched the emulator. Oh, the emulator? Yeah, as the name suggests, this is a fork of QMU, uh, of the QMU Android emulator from the SDK. So that's where they're kind of getting the secret bolts here. I see. Yeah, Uh, It's modified to show the window icon and the title of the app we're running, not like the emulator. That's kind of an interesting approach, though. Uh, Near future plans... Drop the manual uh, APPD parsing uh, fix network stuff, which I don't know what that means yeah I was <laughs> able I was you were able to stream
2: video I was watching the live stream yeah
1: hmm. simple window resizing to be more intuitive, Tighten up packaging, uh, getting access to the better access to the file system using fuse
2: it would be pretty neat like if you could get this going and get good pass-through of. You know, yeah. devices, honestly, webcams.
1: Honestly, devices. yeah, because there are applications that come out for Android that I would kill to have on the Linux yeah. desktop. And I would use these for uh, a decent Android uh, or the Evernote client from Android sure. that could actually use maybe my like microphone. and control clients on Android. Yes.
2: Different things like that. Yes.
1: Honestly, you know what? The Hughes Light app would no, be nice to have on my desktop. A Fair. very simple app like that would be great. So I could definitely see this. Um, there's a few things out there. Even maybe Microsoft Office. Hey. Possibly. Yep. Which is great, great. All right, Mumble, any thoughts on Android apps on on the Linux desktop before we close the book on this topic? I haven't tried this, but the idea is,
2: is awesome. You guys a, should try it, it try it out and see which ones work. See if we can find something that is useful. Yeah.
1: I give them credit for shipping something right now. Yeah, it's worth checking out and playing around it with. It is a little hard to figure out, like. Yeah, when, you, when I
2: installed the dev, it didn't get added to the path or anything, so uh, I had to go really? find it in opt.
1: I installed it from the AUR on, on my machine, and I did the bin. So I did shoshlink-bin from the AUR. And then you do install, and then there's run. You don't have to mess with run, but you do install, install the APK, right? and that was it. But then you, know, you think about this maybe in context of Ubuntu phone, right? Right. And you think maybe this would be a decent way to run some APKs on Ubuntu phone. That would
2: be pretty sweet. Be the right size. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Except for it's arm i got to work on that. So it's called Shashlink, S-H-A-S-H-L-I-K, and we have a link in the show notes. Chatroom says, no, they do not want this for Ubuntu Touch. No. Micah is upset about that. Sorry, Micah. Sorry. Micah, you should join the Mum room and tell me why. Because it might be a way to get some nice – like what about Waze, right? What if you want Waze or what if you want Google Maps on your Ubuntu Touch device? I don't know if they would work because of the Play API and all that, but I think, I think there actually is some serious – I think there actually is some serious uses for this. Doesn't mean stop developing Linux no, desktop. Certainly not. Certainly not. That would be crazy. We would yeah, never yeah. say that. You know what else is crazy? Not attending a live Linux unplugged. Oh, just don't make that mistake. <laughs> be here. You really you really sold that one. Don't 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 do that. That would be Just don't. Don't. Never don't. No. Hey, you know, we should give a quick mention. You can come say hi to Wes at Linux Fest Northwest and me and the crew. Yeah. Linux Fest Northwest is coming Be up there. at the end of April. All right, JBLive.tv for live shows, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar, Linux Action Reddit.com to get it converted to your local time zone. We do it every single Tuesday. We'd love to have you in our mumble room. Thanks for being here. See you next week. Short Linux unplugged for a while. That's kind of refreshing. Wow! Yeah, crazy. Hey, Chris. Yes, sir. I gotta go, but I just want to tell you I just signed up for Linux Academy. Hey, very nice. That's I hope great. you enjoy. Enjoy that, yep, Mister Radio. Thanks. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Sure. Right on. You too. We'll see you guys later. Right on. Actually, oh. I
4: think we had two firsts uh, today in terms of uh, JB shows. Oh, late on me. Uh, we began ten minutes early, and we ended early. No way. We began early.
1: Wow. I i cool. on the nail. I started the show early? No way. No 10, way. It was Yeah, 10 it, minutes you, early. Yeah, 10 minutes early. Wow, I never do that. How did we not? Usually we have enough things happening.
2: Yeah. Wow. I just
1: I'd managed to get through all the things. Wow. There you go. Look at that. Rekai mentions I can use MPV to listen to Audible books. I don't know I don't know how to do that, but that sounds good. Rekai, you got to give me details Ooh, on that. Oh, I just installed Flappy Bird. Really, using the uh, using the thing? I don't know if it'll work, but uh, that would it. be that would be decent. That wouldn't be bad. Flappy, you know, a uh, games, yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah,
4: that's uh, actually a game that I'm surprised hasn't been ported to Linux. Is Flappy Bird or like a clone of it? It, it doesn't
3: yeah. need to be because there's uh, web versions of it everywhere, and there's like five thousand different clones of it.
4: Huh. Well, Rod, and I wouldn't mind a K Flappy Bird on my system that runs <laughs> natively. Look no, at that's Clappy Bird. Cla- Clappy Bird. Whoa, that's something oh, else. That's go. something I else. like
1: that. Come on. Let's not talk about that. Hey, around. look at Rekai linking me to the Arch uh, wiki here with uh, how to play your freaking Audible books uh, using MPV. How about that? Oh, oh, I've
2: got Icon. Are you, are you playing Flappy Bird? Not yet.
1: It's loading very slowly. It's very slowly loading. Maybe well, I can you know, very slowly th- play it's, it That's later. a big game. That's a real big game. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a big game. Very complex, too. Yeah, yeah. This is
2: not the fastest of computers.
1: Oh, no, that's what it is. It's the computer. Yeah, blame the computer.
2: Linux's fault. Slow is a You know, what? Ugh, the you know what you ought
1: to do is get, your, uh, get yourself that new uh, Sputnik that's got the Thunderbolt on there. I have thought about have that. You? Have oh, you? Yeah, I have. Hmm. Is it on sale yet? No. No, although you could probably get the Windows version now, can't you? Hmm. For some arbitrary
4: reason. I want one of those new 76 systems that are out. Yeah, which one? Uh, It's the one that's one up from the uh, Gazelle. I was looking at that one. I was like, man, I I need to find a need and justification for me me to buy this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look at
1: this. Look at this. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Using uh, Pi game, there is a clone of Flappy Bird. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you, I wonder if this is, I wonder if I search the AUR. If this is in the AUR, oh, I'm not using Arch on this computer. I was going to say, if this is an AOR, I'm going to get it right now. It's probably a PPA. Yeah, it's probably a PPA.